0: Welcome to BlitzCast, an NFL Draft Podcast, brought to you by NFLDraftBlitz.com. And now, your hosts, Alex Kavtov and Ed Hunt.
1: Welcome to another episode of BlitzCast. Ed and Alex are, are back in the house for another week. And this was a wild, wild NFL weekend. And I guess the, the game that made it so wild was... The Falcons against the Cowboys, Ed. That was just, if you wanted to see an offensive showdown, that was the game to to tune into. You know, it looked like the Falcons were going to run away with it after the first quarter. They had a 20 to nothing lead. The Cowboys fumbled the ball twice. They, they ran a fake punt that, that didn't work. And it was an embarrassment early in Texas. It, it looked like Mike McCarthy was just going to get booed off the field at the end of the game, but that's not what happened. Ed, they just they came back and won the game.
2: Yeah, I, I think Dak Prescott had a great game where he. I mean, he threw for 400 yards, rushed for three touchdowns. I mean, that's that's, you know, he he, he put on a great performance, and I mean, I, I think they had four fumbles early in the first quarter. They were down by 20 points, so, um, you know, I think they were even down by a couple touchdowns and going into the fourth quarter. So. Definitely a great comeback by the Cowboys.
1: Yeah, it was it was a crazy first quarter. They they just they were coughing up the win, and then all of a sudden in the second half they came out and Dak Prescott and that offense was just executing really really well. I mean everything went right for the Cowboys, especially on offense, and we saw what what Dak Prescott is capable of.
2: Yeah, he. I mean, he, he's he's really, I mean, as a fourth-round pick, I mean, he's really come into his own. I mean, he might be the best fourth-round pick in the NFL. I mean, just most valuable fourth-round pick. Maybe not the best fourth-round pick, but the most valuable fourth-round pick
1: in the NFL right now. It was, like I said, it was a wild game. And there were some other guys that contributed for the Cowboys. Uh, CeeDee Lamb had over 100 yards uh, as a receiver, Dalton Schultz stepped up. Blake Jarvin was the starting tight end in opening weekend. He got injured. He's out for the season. Dalton Schultz, uh, the former Stanford Cardinals, stepped up and and made some plays as well. So I was was really impressed with some guys that that really... Amari Cooper made that one-handed catch. Michael Gallup made a a big-time catch in the fourth quarter down the field. So the Cowboys have weapons. But the thing is... They don't have a defense at all. I mean, their defense, they don't have the weapons. They don't have the players. Uh, Van Esch has gone down. They've lost a couple of other key guys. DeMarcus Lawrence hes questionable for this week. They're struggling on defense. We knew they would, but that's secondary. I mean, they still gave up 39 points to the Atlanta Falcons.
2: I, I just think this football team has a lot of weapons at wide receiver and I think that I think they might have the best wide receiver core in the NFL. I mean is there is there another team in this league that has a better wide receiver core? Yeah
1: I think he I think you're right. I mean, if we're talking about three wide receivers, I think the Cowboys are definitely tops in that. Uh, according to Bovada Sportsbook, the Cowboys are playing the Seahawks this week, and the Seattle Seahawks are getting minus five at home. This is going to be an offensive showdown, Ed. Both teams can't stop anybody, and the Seahawks including. And this is going to be an offensive showdown between Russell Wilson and Dak.
2: I I, th- I think so. You know, to be honest with you, I think the Seahawks are a very good team. Like, I think, I think they might be, you know, they might be, you know, NFC Championship game worthy. Or, I mean, they're definitely a playoff team. I mean, I think this is... This is a really good squad.
1: You know, I've seen the Seahawks through the first two games, and they've given up a ton of yards. They've given up a ton of plays on defense. And right now, it seems like Pete Carroll has basically said, all right, Russell, just run with it. You've got some weapons of wide receiver. You've got Tyler Lockett. You've got DK Metcalf. You've got David Moore. Just throw the damn football. And I think that seems to be the prerogative right now for the Seahawks. Brian Schottenheimer has designed a really good offense. And Russell Wilson right now looks like the MVP favorite. I know we've only played two weeks. But right now, he's definitely the clear-cut MVP favorite so far. And I just think the Seahawks before this was all about playing good defense and running the football and using Russell Wilson to... Yeah, you know, he would roll out of the pocket. He would find the open wide receivers. He would be good on on play action passes. Right now, they're spreading the field and letting Russell operate in the way that Tom Brady operated with the Patriots or Aaron Rodgers operated back in the day with the Packers. They're just they're spreading the field and they're giving him the ball. And I think. The philosophy has changed a little bit, and I agree with it. I think they should have given the ball to Russell Wilson the last couple of years instead of just committing to the run and, and try to run it, you know, 30 times a game. And that was always Pete Carroll's way of doing it. but they realized that that defense can't stop anybody, even though they got Jamal Adams, they can get creative with him, and he has been a difference maker, but I' just the Seahawks have to play better defense. And I picked the Cowboys to go to the Super Bowl and win it. If they're going to play like this on defense, they're certainly going to be exciting, but I don't think they're going to advance in the playoffs just because, you know, defense wins championships, Said Before the Seahawks and the Cowboys could be proclaimed as two of the better teams in the NFC, they have to clean up some of those issues on defense.
2: I just think I just think in a quarterback league, you've got you've got Russell Wilson, you've got Dak Prescott on the other side. I think even though Dak Prescott has a better receiver core than Russell Wilson, I think Russell Wilson in this game is the better quarterback and I think he'll end up winning.
1: So let's talk about this. I mean, Dak Prescott, does it change your mind based on what you saw in this performance, week 2 against the Falcons, is Dak Prescott a top 5 quarterback in this league right now in 2020?
2: Well, I I don't think he, I don't think you could say top five, but I mean he's he's flirting with he's flirting with it. I think he's maybe like I would put him in like maybe seven. I mean I would put guys like Lamar Jackson, Mahomes, Russell Wilson ahead of him. You know I'd probably even put uh, Aaron Rodgers and Matt Ryan ahead of him. There's there's a few there's a few guys I would put ahead of him because I mean you know this is a quarterback league and there's a lot of good quarterbacks in the league right now. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, he—he, he, I think he's probably, you know, I think it's fair to say he's like the seventh best quarterback in the league.
1: I would put him as a top five quarterback right now, just based on what I'm seeing, because I think he's going to get a chance to flourish this year. The last couple of years, his numbers have been going up, because in the beginning of his career, he was more of a game manager. Right now, the Cowboys are opening up that playbook, and they're letting him operate. They're letting him throw for 300 400 yards a game and it's not a surprise I mean you mentioned they they do have the the deepest wide receiver core they have the best wide receivers in the league so they just have to continue to operate in in that direction and Zeke is no longer the the bell cow the, the guy leading the charge right now it's clearly Dak Prescott to me he's a top five quarterback because the only three guys right now that I would put ahead of him are Patrick Mahomes Russell Wilson And Lamar Jackson. But there's nobody else that I would put ahead of him because because I think those old guys, and let's call them old guys, I'm talking about Drew Brees, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, they've taken a step back. So we're not living in past glory. We're not talking about 2015. We're talking about 2020. And I think Dak has definitely taken that step up. And this year... He's clearly going to throw for more yards and more touchdowns than he ever has. He's going to be really motivated, and that's what I'm saying. Jerry Jones missed out, Ed, because I think with the offense that he has there, the weapons that he has there, Mike McCarthy is going to open it up for Dak. Dak is going to be the highest-paid quarterback at the end of the season. He's going to get that contract. And I'm sure the Cowboys are going to be scratching their head and saying, why didn't we give him that 35 $40 million that he was asking before this year? Well,
2: I, I I mean I thought I thought that the, you know with Dak Prescott, you know, getting all the receivers he got, I thought he should have signed the contract a year ago. I mean, I, I just I I, I I think I think I think they were at a standstill and I respect the I
1: respect for the Cowboys for at least trying to hold their ground. Well, it, like I said, the the Cowboys this week against the Seahawks, it's it, it's one of the main games and it's just going to be interesting. To see this. Because this could get wild. This could get up there in the 50s. Both defenses can't stop anybody. Let's talk about injuries. And my Niners have been hit the hardest. This week. Uh, Even before this week. We were hit pretty hard. I mean we had. So we had D Ford out. Richard Sherman went on the IR. George Kittle missed this week. And he's probably going to miss this week as well. We lost... Nick Bosa to an ACL tier. Jimmy G has a high ankle sprain, but he might play this Sunday because for a quarterback, it's not a big-time injury. I mean, a quarterback could miss a couple of weeks or might miss a month. It sounds like he's day-to-day, and Shanahan has said that he might play this Sunday. We lost Solomon Thomas to an ACL. We lost Mostert to a spraying MCL. He's definitely not going to play this week. Tevin Coleman will miss time. Do you feel sorry for my 49ers, or are you just like, I don't think they're going to sniff the playoffs in 2020?
2: <laughs> I, I, I think this is funny. We were we were watching uh, Sports Center, and uh, they were they were showing all the 49ers injuries, and I was I was looking at the list, and I said I said to my girlfriend that every every player on that list is all their good players i mean you got george kittle you got debo samuel you got every key player on their team jimmy Garoppolo, solomon thomas you know second best defensive lineman nick bosa their best pl- defensive player probably one of the better defensive players in the league top 10 defensive players in the league just their their whole team was on their injury list
1: and in the 49ers this week bovada has them as a 4 point favorite over the giants well the giants have They received some bad news in Week 2 as well. Saquon Barkley, one of the better running backs in this league, went down and he suffered an ACL tear. He's out for the season, and there's definitely a lot more pressure for the Giants and, and Daniel Jones moving forward.
2: I just, think, I just think the Giants are also a sinking ship this year. I mean, just, you know, losing Saquon Barkley. And I, I don't know if Daniel Jones is really... I mean, he, he he's kind of, you know... Some people said he was going to be awesome. Some people said he was going to be terrible. I think he's kind of that middle ground.
1: Well, I mean, it depends. If you're middle ground, you're a top 15 quarterback, and you're on the cusp of, of making the playoffs, he's still a young guy. I think too many times I hate it when... People say, oh, he's great after that rookie season, or he's bad after that rookie season. Give him three years. This is really—it's tough to evaluate, especially a quarterback. Give him three years and and see what's going to come out of this. And right now, obviously, he doesn't have one of his big weapons at running back because Saquon Barkley was going to be the central key piece on offense. We know this. They like to throw the ball to him coming out of the backfield because he's a terrific receiver. He can also hit home runs. He has taken some criticism from Tiki Barber for not being a good um, pass protector, but there, there are plenty of running backs that aren't good pass protectors out there. It's a lost year. I agree with you. I mean, the Giants are a sinking ship. And when you look at this NFC East, I mean, the Cowboys should run away with this division. The Eagles are struggling. The Giants with Saquon Barkley aren't going anywhere. Washington wasn't going to be a good team, even though we were excited about them after week one. I mean, the Cowboys should easily take this division.
2: They should, but, you know, in years past, I mean, they should have and they haven't. So, I mean, this this is really an opportunity for Mike McCarthy to see what kind of coach he is.
1: Let's talk about another team that I think is in the same position as the Niners in this. It's the Denver Broncos. Before the season started, they lost Von Miller. Now they've lost their best wide receiver in Cortland Sutton, and I would actually argue he was their best offensive player based on the type of year that that he had last year. And they lost their young quarterback in Drew Locke. He suffered a right shoulder injury, and he's bound to miss about three to five weeks. This is bad news, especially when you're saying, "Hey, we're evaluating Drew Lock, and we want to see where we're going to be after next year." This is bad news for the Broncos.
2: I mean, I, I think when Bud Dupree knocked Drew Lock out, I think I think that pretty much ended the game for the Broncos. I mean, there was the fact that they they made it as close as they did was pretty impressive. But I mean, the the Steelers the Steelers came out like gangbusters, and they were playing violent football and. The, the the Broncos. I mean, the Broncos are were already banged up going into the week. So certainly this team this team has a lot of injuries. I mean, they lost Von Miller. I mean, losing him for the year is a big loss. I mean, you 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 really you really can't be your best when you lose your best player, right? You when you lose your best edge rusher, best player, all world uh, outside linebacker, you really can't be a Super Bowl team. I just it, it's just it's it's very rare in my lifetime to see a team lose their best defensive player and still be a Super Bowl team.
1: Before that Von Miller injury, there was a lot of whispers that the Broncos were on the cusp of making the playoffs. There were a few people that were talking them up as as a wild card team because this year we have three wild card teams and the Broncos were kind of that sleeper that that dark horse pick this year. Not anymore. I mean, obviously Drew Locke is gonna miss time. Jared Judy was, was knocked out for a little while. He got back in the game. Cortland Sutton is is a huge loss for them. And now who do they have? They have Jeff Driscoll, who put together a pretty good performance just based on coming in as a backup quarterback. Maybe Brett Rippin gets a crack at it. But this is like I said, the the Broncos will have to endure this for the next three to five weeks, and then you never know if Drew Locke is going to be 100% the rest of the way. Bad news. I, I feel sorry for them. As a Niners fan, I do sympathize with what the Denver Broncos are going through right now. The best running back in football, and I'm confident in saying this, Christian McCaffrey of the Panthers, he suffered a high ankle sprain. He's going to be out.
2: I, I think it's more like four to six weeks. I mean, I, I own him in fantasy. I think. I mean, it's an ankle injury. It's not an ACL tear. So, I, I I think Christian McCaffrey will be out probably a good chunk of the you know good chunk of the first half of the year. But I think he, he he'll come back, and I think he'll have a productive second half. I
1: sympathize with you, Ed. You had the number one overall pick in our fantasy draft. You obviously chose, like many others, uh, you chose Christian McCaffrey like a hundred percent of other folks out there who had him as the number one overall pick I had Christian McCaffrey and Saquon Barkley in three out of my four fantasy leagues I'm in trouble this week I'm scrambling I'm I'm trying to add some guys like Dion Lewis or who else is out there Devontae Freeman you're trying to kind of you know find some pieces out there maybe some Rams running backs like Daryl Henderson or Malcolm Brown. We're scrambling this week as far as fantasy as well. A couple other injuries of note. Devontae Adams suffered a hamstring injury. Hamstring injuries are tough, especially when you're asked to cut, like wide receivers do when they're running routes. So we don't know how much time he's going to miss. And Anthony Barr, uh, the Vikings linebacker, he suffered a, a shoulder injury. And another injury of note that occurred before the game. That was... Tyrod Taylor, quarterback of the Los Angeles Chargers, the starting quarterback, he had a a rib injury. Apparently, he got a shot uh, before the game, and he started feeling, he had chest pains, and he couldn't go. And your boy, Justin Herbert, I'm confident in saying this, Ed, because you were on his bandwagon before the 2020 NFL Draft. You liked them for the last couple of years. He was inserted in the game he played against the Super Bowl champs, the Kansas City Chiefs, and he played a hell of a game. i got to give it to him. A guy that only found out that he was going to start 10 minutes before the game was going was gonna to occur, he put together a hell of a performance.
2: I, I, I'm going to make the bold prediction that Justin Herbert will be a top-eight quarterback
1: in the league at some point in his career. I, I, I Maybe mean, it's not even that bold. I don't think it's that bold because he was drafted sixth overall. In the NFL draft, obviously, he was the third quarterback drafted, but the Chargers thought very highly of him. They obviously believed that he was their franchise quarterback. The one thing that I really struggle with, he did throw that one interception that he shouldn't have thrown. It was across his body, and I'll give it to him. I mean, he's a rookie. That's a rookie mistake. He trusted his arm a little too much when he could have picked up the first down with his feet. I think it was third and two when he went for the big play, throwing across his body. I mean, that's not something you, that you do in the NFL. But the one thing that really pisses me off is that Anthony Lynn, the head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers... I mean, the Chargers are committed to Justin Herbert the rest of the way. They do believe he's their franchise quarterback or they wouldn't have chosen him in the top 10 this year. Anthony Lynn keeps saying that if Tyrod Taylor is healthy, which is a question mark heading into this weekend, that if he's healthy, he's going to remain the starting quarterback. What is this? I mean, Anthony Lynn is really loyal to Tyrod Taylor. He had him with the Bills. He was a starting quarterback, but come on, Tyrod Taylor is not Justin Herbert. Go with the young guy. Give him time. He will give you a chance, and he could propel this offense to bigger and, and better things moving forward.
2: Yeah, I mean, you got to play this year. I th- I actually think the Chargers can be a good team this year. I think they could be a playoff team if they want to be.
1: Well, right now I just don't see it. I think their defense is good, and I realize that Herbert threw for 300 yards in a loss to the Chiefs. They took them to overtime, so that that was really impressive. I saw a lot. Did you see? Did you see Harrison
2: Butker? I mean, that might have been the best kicking performance I've ever seen. I just I had to I had to bring that into the show. I mean, he like they literally they made him kick the field goal, and then they took a timeout, and they made him kick another field goal, and then he came back, and he and it was finally real. And he kicked it a third time. It was it was one of the most impressive kicking performances I've ever well, seen. Well, the
1: man has got a strong leg. I mean, fifty plus yards is is nothing to him. I'm sure that last kick would have been good from sixty plus. I, I just I mean. To make three in a row, I mean that's
2: accuracy. I mean when you when you make f- three from fifty plus, I mean that's that's accuracy in my opinion.
1: Bavada has the Kansas City Chiefs versus the Ravens this week. The Ravens are are three point favorite. The Chiefs didn't look that good against the Chargers. What should we think about their performance against the the Baltimore Ravens this week? Who do you have? I'm a, I'm actually gonna go with the Chiefs.
2: I'm not I'm not too worried about them. Uh, you know, they're gonna ha- they're gonna have a few bad games here and there. I mean this wasn't this wasn't the best week. They didn't they didn't really have a chance to prepare for Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert had a good week. Now they know what they see have in him. Teams like the Chiefs are gonna have are gonna have games like this, but you can see that they have that sort of drive and that ability to win close games. So not only not only can they take a two teams, but they can also win the close games. So I'm I am not worried about the Chiefs and I I think right now I think I think them and Baltimore are the two favorites for the AFC still. If I were to say today, I would say Chiefs are probably going to win
1: the AFC. Let's talk about another AFC team that is playing really well. And this pains, I said, because you know where I'm going with this. It's the Buffalo Bills. And Josh Allen has been playing lights out in the first two games. I do want to stop the presses a little bit because Josh Allen played against the Jets, who are one of the worst teams in the NFL. And then they played against the Miami Dolphins without Byron Jones. And that secondary for the Miami Dolphins looked like trash. I mean, the Dolphins spend a lot of money on free agents on that defense, and they couldn't stop anybody. I mean, Josh Allen looked like John Elway, the way he was throwing bombs to Stephon Diggs. What are we to think about the Buffalo Bills? Are they the favorites in the AFC East, or are you still sticking with Cam Newton and the Patriots?
2: I am definitely on Cam Newton and the Patriots. I mean, the Patriots could have very easily won that game if that last play with Cam Newton had gone the right way. So I don't sleep on the Patriots, and I don't sleep on Bill Belichick. So we've seen this happen so many times. I mean, how many years have we been at this point in the season? You know, after a couple weeks, and we say, oh, are the Patriots going to be good? Or, you know, can they do it? You know, can Bill do it? You know, maybe this is the end. You know, there's ESPN, and there's... NFL network and they're talking about is this the end of Patriot reign or you know we done and and they just they just keep doing it and so to be honest with you with when they're rolling with Cam Newton I I think you know he gets comfortable in this offense and I really still stick by my guns and say that he's going to win the AFC East.
1: Bovada has the Bills as a two-point favorite over the Rams and the Bills are at home but I do think that this is the first time the Bills are going to face a real defense. And the Los Angeles Rams are playing really well. They're clicking. They went to the Super Bowl two years ago. I'm seeing the same team that the Rams had two years ago. Jared Goff is playing lights out. They're top four in terms of wide receivers. They've got Cooper Cup. They've got Robert Woods. But they also got a couple of young guys like Josh Reynolds and Van Jefferson who are contributing. They've got a platoon of running backs. they kind of going with the hot hand. Malcolm Brown, Cam Akers, Daryl Henderson, but I think Sean McAvey, he likes this. He doesn't have that one guy that he has to feature, like last year it was Todd Gurley. He had to give him the ball because it was Todd Gurley. This year, it's just a bunch of guys who haven't established themselves yet, and he's driving it. And Obviously, that defense, they still have Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey. I'm curious to see how Josh Allen does this game. So far, he's completing 70% of his passes. He hasn't thrown a pick, and he's looked much better throwing the ball deep, which is something that was a concern in the previous couple of years. I'm curious to see how the Bills are going to look against the Los Angeles Rams. Who do you have this week?
2: I I just want to say, if there's one quarterback who really doesn't have the name brand that really should be considered a top-10 quarterback... It's Jared Goff. I think Jared Goff has been great the first two weeks of the season. He's proving that he's a top 10 quarterback in the league. And I think he goes away and wins this game against the Bills. Why
1: do people hate on Jared Goff? Why is there so much hatred towards Jared Goff? He was a number one overall pick out of Cal. He led the Los Angeles Rams to a Super Bowl. They lost to the Patriots in a very tough game. Many people lose in the Super Bowl against the Patriots. There have been a lot of great quarterbacks that have lost games in the Super Bowl against the New England Patriots. And it seems like after that Super Bowl performance, where he didn't have a good game, I'll give you that, but why has there been so much hatred towards Jared Goff? He didn't have his best year last year, but I'm just, I'm curious. Where is this coming from?
2: I'm going to say that, you know, he's had he's had great defenses and he's had he's had good teams around him. But who and doesn't? Think, Ed, I,
1: who doesn't? If you want to be a top quarterback in this league, you've got to have great players and you got to have a good offensive line. Show me one team that doesn't have a great a great offensive line and great wide receivers that are still doing well. I mean, look at Sam Darnold, the poor Sam Darnold. He's got happy feet just because the offensive line isn't playing well and he's got Braxton Berrios as his as his top receiver this past week. I mean, it's a joke to be honest with you. So every great quarterback has always had good supporting casts and I just think it's it's really shady that you know people say, okay, th- this guy's great, this guy's great and Jared Goff always for some reason gets thrown under the bus.
2: Well, I, there is one there's one way that Jared Goff gets thrown under the bus. He ha- he hasn't had great offensive lines. And he's still played good ball without great offensive lines. I mean, the, the, the Rams are not a not a great offensive line team. I mean, they need to upgrade in that area.
1: Yeah, two years ago when they went to the Super Bowl, they had a good offensive line. Last year, they, they were average at best. And this year, I would also say that they're still working out those kinks. I, I wouldn't say that they're great. Maybe they're better than what they were last year. But I just I'm always surprised how Jared Goff always for some reason, analysts and people always talk down about Jared Goff just because he doesn't have the strongest arm or he's in a, he's a system quarterback. What do you call Tom Brady? He's not a system quarterback. What does that mean when they say system quarterback? System quarterback is you run your offense really well and if you put him in another offense, you'll master that as well. It's beyond me at this point. Let's get to college football. Uh, there is some big-time news that I didn't expect. Dion Sanders, the former All-Pro Hall of Fame cornerback who played for the Dallas Cowboys, the, the 49ers, the Atlanta Falcons, he doesn't have any head coaching experience. He's been an offensive coordinator at Texas recently. He got the head coaching gig at at Jackson State. Jackson State is an FCS school. They play in the SWAC. This is Jackson State should be ecstatic at this point. What can we expect from Dion?
2: You know Dion I think I think he'll bring a lot of energy to a locker room. I think that's I think that's really what I mean i I, I just I see him being a good recruiter. I see him being very magnetic. I just think, I just think, when you're competing in in that level of conference, I mean, you know, it's just, it's just. I think, I think, kids, you know, if they want to go to a small school, are going to be drawn by the name, but I think they're also going to be drawn by his personality. I mean, he has, I mean, Dion. One of the things I love about Dion is he has an energy to him that that not that, that, that most that most people don't have. He's the type of person that if he wasn't a great football player, he could be a great salesman.
1: And he was. He was a great analyst on TV, and it sounds like he wanted to get into the coaching ranks. Nobody was going to make him a head coach in the NFL, and this is the best job that he could have gotten. You know, I think he's going to raise the profile of Jackson State. I think that's pretty obvious. Kids at that level would want to go to a SWAC school. They would want to go to Jackson State because they know where Dion has been. He's been to the NFL, and they realize that that's their dream. That's where they want to get to. So I think he's going to do really well with recruiting because I can imagine Dion sitting in the living room somewhere and just making quite an impression on the family and, and on the kid that probably wants to play for him. I think he might steal some recruits from teams that are like in the non power five conferences. Kids would be willing to play for Dion because I heard that, that Dion wants to bring in about. Six to eight coaches from the NFL ranks. So he's going to have an experienced coaching staff. I have no doubt about it because he has no head coaching experience. He has some head coaching experience at high school before, but high school is high school. I mean, college is is a little bit different. I think he's also going to bring exposure to the HBCU colleges just in general. Guys like Jerry Rice, Walter Payton, Michael Strahan, Aeneas Williams, all those great players have gone to HBCU schools. But in the past decade, those schools have kind of fallen in their profile. And I think this is going to be great for the black colleges. And this is going to be great for, for Jackson State moving forward. right definitely has a ton of energy, like you said. And Dion is... He can sell you anything. If Dion takes, like, a used car, he's going to, like he's going to make it seem like it's a shiny new Mercedes or a Ferrari and a person wants to buy it. So I can imagine how he's going to be in terms of recruiting. I fully agree that he's going to be a great
2: recruiter. I, I I give him credit for being bold. I mean, this is a bold move. I mean, he could have been an, an assistant in Alabama. He could have been like an you know a defensive assistant in Alabama. You know, work with some of the cornerbacks. You know, maybe work with some of the young cornerbacks, and you know, just kind of take like a limited role. Obviously, he's got some expertise, and he knows he knows a lot about you know playing defensive back, and even even playing on the offensive side of the ball. But you know what he said? He said, "I'm gonna be I'm gonna be the guy at Jackson State." And I, 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 I totally respect that. And he's going to get some good talent around him. I, I think it's going to be good for Jackson State.
1: We've got a guest on the line right now who joins us.
2: We've got Angelo Carriero on the show today. He's uh, uh, from ESPN Radio Lexington. And we're going to be talking UK and Bengals football.
1: It, it is Kentucky Wildcats. You know they've they've really had a couple of good seasons the the last two years ten and three in 2018 eight and five last year Angela when you look at their schedule this season will this team have a winning season this year
0: first off I want to say uh, I appreciate you two having me on I really do it, it's a, it's a real honor I met Ed back at a uh, Kentucky uh, football pro day as uh, he covers all over the nation NFL draft prospects and I was covering for NFL draft purposes and for uh, the radio station that I work for uh, locally as we do cover the Kentucky Wildcats. So it was nice to meet Ed there and glad to be on the podcast. But to answer your question directly, it is a a wait and see from me. Uh, If you look at Kentucky's uh, record under Coach Stoops the last four years, they're 32-20. and So all signs kind of point to Kentucky having a winning record this year. Uh, The only kind of hiccups in that is that uh, Kentucky's 16-16. and in conference play which for kentucky football standards is phenomenal like uh, unfortunately if you're a fan of the team uh, but it it is on an upswing but the the biggest kind of caveat to this is auburn is ranked eighth in the nation and kentucky over the last four years under coach Stoops three and nine against ranked opponents or they their record is three and nine against ranked opponents uh history so far doesn't favor uh the wildcats in this matchup so i would say that uh Really, Kentucky has a shot of maybe going six and four um maybe as high as seven and three, but I think realistically, especially with the stretch at the end of the season after their bye week uh they face Vanderbilt and then they play Alabama on the road, Florida on the road, and South Carolina at home and Even though many around here think South Carolina' is a winnable game, I think it's just a schedule loss after going and playing the two toughest teams in the in the conference on the road in back-to-back week. So I kind of see Kentucky sitting more maybe at 500, possibly at four and six, but they have a ceiling of, or, you know, six, four, seven, and three.
1: Well, we're finally going to see this Saturday, Kentucky is is playing against Auburn. What are your expectations for this game? Can they pull out an upset? What's your prediction?
0: Uh, you know, that is something that over the last couple of days as I study up for this game, I've slowly started to kind of turn around and think that this won't be the blowout that maybe I had thought originally. And the reason why it all starts with Auburn having 13 new starters um, on their team, and I know that Bo Nix broke all sorts of records, Auburn records, his freshman year being SEC freshman of the year. I, I think that a lot of people think that he has a flawed game, And what people outside of the SEC or even outside of the University of Kentucky fan base may not know uh, about Coach Stoops and this team, but the defense is just loaded. It's proven in the stats the last two years, they've only given up uh, over the last two seasons an average of 18 points per game. But I will say uh, the only reason that gives me pause and why I think Auburn will eventually take this contest is um, Auburn over the last Four years their recruiting classes have been like 14 12 10 and 8 like they, they they consistently recruit some of the best talent in the nation and being able to have practices and be healthy leading into your first game even though there won't be fans they will be at home and if you look at their record last year they gave LSU their closest game in a three-point loss and they pretty much won all the games they should have and pretty much lost all the games they should have, which is a very typical Auburn season, if you ask me. But this is a tough team. I think Gus Malzon is one of the most underrated coaches and one of the most underrated offensive minds in not only college football in the terms of offensive line, but in all of football. Uh, so I will, if I had to make a prediction right now, which can change by Saturday, I do think that Auburn kind of has the edge in this contest, as I think many would believe as well.
1: Well, it's no surprise that Bovada has Auburn at home minus seven. Uh, they're the favorites against Kentucky every. That sport. line's moved
0: down though. It was higher, so that's interesting.
1: It has, it has. I guess a lot of people are taking Kentucky uh, nowadays. You you mentioned the defense being the strength under Coach Stoops this year as well. Tell us about that group. I mean, obviously it's a it's an obvious strength. Tell us about that that defensive squad.
0: Well, the biggest thing that you have to understand about the defense is that it's it's now too deep at pretty much every level, which I think any Kentucky team in the past has at lucky to be one deep. <laughs> uh, so to be too deep at uh, SEC defense, which to me is, is vitally, vitally important, maybe the most important unit you need in all of college football is a defense and maybe an offense in the Big 12 to keep up with all that scoring. They have prospects guys that have come in recruits that not only are highly rated but are have panned out in early returns and i think that's huge the greatest strength of the team even though they're missing uh, a four-star recruit that chose uh, kentucky over ohio state and uh chris Oates, who has an undisclosed medical reason and why he is not with the team over the last couple months uh, the linebacking core is just it, it, each starter brings something to the table you know Josh Paschal and uh, Jamar Boogie Watson from the edge you've got uh, uh, DeAndre Square as one of the inside uh, linebackers and then you've got a couple of other uh, young guys that have experience at the position in the middle and really what's been what's, what's fun and it's not so much for this year um, as in the future is that the one thing under Stoops is that he hasn't really recruited, and I'll bring this up a little later, he hasn't recruited really pedigreed defensive linemen over his first five or so years of his tenure, but over the last two years, and especially this last recruiting class, he got, I believe, three top 250 defensive linemen, uh, according to rivals, which is just unbelievably uh, a big deal for uh, this defensive line. But the defense is a strength. And uh, another strength for the team, since we're talking about Kentucky's strengths right now, is the offensive line. And uh, really, ever since about 2016, going into 2017, uh, Kentucky has found a way to build one of the better offensive lines in uh, in the SEC. And you don't have to ask me. You can look at the all-SEC team for offensive line, uh, Drake Jackson and uh, Derek Kennard. Uh, Both are first team uh, by the coaches, preseason All-SEC, and Landon Young is second team All-SEC at left tackle. Uh, This offensive line unit in the stable of running backs, uh, they're going to be able to move the line of scrimmage forward, and that's going to be huge in playing a a really grinded-out type of game on both sides of the ball.
1: There's a question mark at quarterback, in my opinion. Terry Wilson is coming back after missing most of last season with an injury. Is he the right guy for the job? Can he take Kentucky to to another winning season this year? Are you sold on him?
0: Um, it's the third year that Kentucky's going into a season with Terry Wilson as the starting quarterback. And it is the third year that I don't know. I was not sold on him after 2018 and you all may think that's crazy the the team went 10 and 3 he was a you know he was one of the better quarterback recruits of his class how could you say that Terry was instrumental with his legs in the Florida game to give Kentucky its first win over Florida in what 31 years but his passing ability um, never seemed to click with the wide receiver core and uh he, he, the Teams kind of found a way to take him out there until really the Louisville game um, at the end of that year and then going into the Citrus Bowl against Penn State, which Kentucky won. He showed flashes at the beginning of last year uh, of improved passing, uh, which made me think that there was a potential to have a truly decent dual threat quarterback on uh, the, in the Wildcats' hands. But uh, unfortunately, he kind of ripped his knee apart in uh, one of the early contests. I believe it was Eastern Michigan. I'd have to go back and check he was out for the rest of the year um, and now he's coming back and reading body language. And I would say that I'm decent at kind of reading what's BS and what's not. It does seem like that both Terry and both coach Stoops think that Terry's going to be coming back healthy. And that is a good thing for him, but I truly wonder what he is as a football player. Cause I still don't know. I still don't know what he's going to be able to do for the team. There's actually a young kid Uh, from Lexington Catholic, which I cover high school football locally, and I've got to watch him over the last three years. He was a four-star pro-style quarterback recruit according to rivals, and he kind of has some of those Joe Burrow-esque traits to him that made Joe Burrow such a wildly attractive uh, prospect in the NFL, and he's currently listed with Joey Gatewood's uncertainty, who's another four-star quarterback prospect that transferred from Auburn who hasn't been cleared for this game but uh, Bo Allen's the backup quarterback he's someone I'd like to see early but uh, to answer your question in a, a very long-winded way man I don't think anybody knows
1: Angela, was there any competition during fall camp or was Terry Wilson just entrenched no. as the starting quarterback T-
0: Terry's their guy I mean straight up there's no other way to put it Ter- Terry was, was the guy was going to be the guy and until he proves that he's not the guy he was always going to get that shot why I don't actually 100% know. That's something I'd have to find out. But that's that's who they're rolling with, and there's no uh, bones about it.
2: It was very unselfish of Lynn Bowden to switch to QB his senior year. Um, now he's moved on to the NFL. What can you tell me about him as a person?
0: Well, Lynn, uh, by the way, came out as a, as a junior, but I know, I know that you know that. I was just going to say, for, for what you said, it was unselfish because as a younger prospect, uh, he you, he needed the reps at, say, wide receiver to get that tape out there for uh, scouts. And um, I, I do believe that there was part of it that was technically unselfish. But when you ask about who he is as a person, I don't think the quarterback move was necessarily completely unselfish. I think he did want to play quarterback. I think he did want the ball in his hands. I think that at his core, Lynn Bowden's a football player. And that's who he is. That's what how he defines himself as he is a football player. He's a man, but he is a football player. That's what he does. He is an interesting guy. He comes from, and a lot of great football players do, but comes from rough backgrounds. Uh, he came from a young, rough part of Youngstown, Ohio, um, a place where a lot of people say you either make it out by ball or you know you go to you know go to jail for drugs, you know selling and whatnot. Um, that that's something that's been associated with that uh with that town is, you know, there a lot in the Rust Belt. Uh kinda had those situations. And uh but Lynn was a uh phenomenal football player and he chose Kentucky just like a lot like Chris Oates. He chose Kentucky over Ohio State. He came here. Um he was kind of afflicted with personal things his freshman year uh to the point there was thought around here that he wasn't gonna come back. Early on, uh, really after he committed and signed here, he was kind of viewed as the next great uh, Kentucky athlete, much like uh, Randall Cobb was just ten years ago, but after that kind of affliction, he missed his home. He had his first child. I think he uh, had you know problems in in, in the um, in the personal life, but that's not for me to come on here and say or anything. That's not. It's just uh, everybody does. Lynn, as he's developed and he's got more confidence, he kind of has a different aura. I think he knew that he was the top dog, and not only the top dog at Kentucky, but he felt everywhere he went. He is the man. He is the best football player. And to be honest, guys, he proved it. He, he proved it on the field. He led the SEC in rushing after eight games. He only, played, you know, he only really rushed the ball those eight games and beat out Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who was a first-round pick at running back uh, and starred with the Kansas City Chiefs in that Game 1 matchup. Um, he kind of exemplifies what a football player – that a head coach would want. I don't. I, I don't know if either of you all played football or or met a lot of coaches, but you know they want dogs. They want guys that come in, they do the work, and they do everything for the game. And that's what Lynn does. So I was really surprised to see that the head coach I thought would love the dog uh, a dog the most would be John Gruden. And when Mike Mayock drafted him as a running back, I thought he was a running back. After coming out, like I really, I truly did. I thought that was his best position. So for them to give up on him so soon and trade him to the Miami Dolphins was a uh, was a really big surprise and some people tried to um, I think there was a loose report that floated out that he was a bad influence on like Henry Ruggs and I guess Brian Edwards or or whatever but from everything he showed at Kentucky is that he was a, he was a guy that put everything on the line for the, for the game of football so I I was really surprised to see uh, all of that
1: I was as well I just you don't cut ties with a rookie unless He's definitely a bad influence on somebody off the field because a third
0: round pick at that.
1: Yeah, I was surprised that they cut bait. It's just a very strange situation. Something must have gone on, like off the field, because you don't get rid of a guy that can help you in a number of ways. He could have helped on on jet sweeps, on, on end arounds. He could have been a kick returner for them. They could have put him at punt returns. Yeah. I mean, yeah, he, he would have been able to play some special teams as a rookie. I, I think he would have just based on what he did by, by playing quarterback last year because it was best for the team. I'm, I'm very perplexed. The, the Raiders basically said that guys in front of them had a better camp. And that's the reason why they got rid of him. But you don't, you don't get rid of a third-round pick that early.
0: Exactly. I was just uh, Alex. I gotta say, I was very surprised uh, because now Lynn Lynn is impressionable. I think. I think he is. A, I think he is a young man that uh, needs good direction and good guidance. And at the NFL level, you get less and less of that. You know, from from college to the pros because it's a, a lot more of a. Uh, you know, it's a business setting. It's it's about business. There's It's not as hands-on as the collegiate world can be. I, I don't think that Lin Bowden is a bad person. I think that Lin Bowden can be a different guy. I think that he can sometimes be, you know, maybe immature or maybe he isn't. And what I mean by immature is even just ready for the NFL in that type of uh, capacity. But nothing here showed me that he was a, a bad person. And therefore, with the Raiders cutting him, I think when you draft Lynn Bowden as a running back in the third round, that's a long-term investment. So I think that's more of a mistake on Mike Mayock and John Gruden and an indictment on their attitude, which uh, over the last couple of years, as uh, good as people talk about them, hasn't been great, uh, Cleland Farrell, cough, cough but but um, over Josh Allen, cough, cough But but um, I think that that Lynn deserves a second chance. He's going to Miami. Miami obviously saw value in him and maybe that they have the infrastructure, maybe that Patriots type of infrastructure that Brian Flores has adopted in Miami will help him. And you know what? It'll be really fun to see him and Tua and then Perry from uh, Navy, all former quarterbacks, one Tua still is, and they could be electric, man. I'm excited for that. So hopefully, Lynn is able to cultivate a role in Miami, and we can really see the type of dynamic potential that I think he has.
1: Well, the Sin City can get the best of you. It can get the best of all of us, I guess, but going to <laughs> Palm Beach, he's certainly not going to help you.
0: But, you know, it's, uh, it's just what you have. It's just what you have around you. I think the Patriots show that they brought in some t- troubled guys from time to time. If, uh, if it wasn't a uh, Randy Moss it was a uh, Josh Gordon. It was a even a guy currently like Brian Cowart uh, that was the number one overall recruit that went to Auburn and he went undrafted, and the Patriots have found a way to make him a rotational defensive lineman. You know, so from all like backgrounds and plates that uh, the Patriots kind of uh, thing is. You know, we all have that Patriots mystique in our mind. I- I'm I'm betting on that. I'm betting on Miami being able to get the best out of this young man.
1: Well, Len Bowden was definitely the heart and soul of this team last year. That's quite clear to all of us. Who will be the leader for Kentucky this season? That's a fantastic question.
0: I honestly think that, uh, and maybe that's why the team believes in Terry so much, is because maybe he is the leader of the locker room uh, behind the scenes, and that carries weight. I think the thing that I mentioned earlier about Chris Oates and his uh, medical condition I think that his absence is kind of rallying the team in a lot of ways, that they're playing for him this year, that they miss him, that they wish that they were going into the season with that young man. I think that that inspiration uh, can kind of provide a leadership within itself. And uh, coach uh, John Schlarman, here, who' is an offensive line coach of one of the best offensive lines in the SEC, if not the country, he uh, overcame a battle with cancer, as did Josh Paschal uh, last year. That was a big uh, a big I don't want to say storyline because that seems insensitive. It was a uh, a big deal around the program and around the city uh, last year of two young you know two guys that overcame their uh, cancer. Uh, scares so they're. It's not like they necessarily need that type of leader with everything that's kind of gone on around them. But if you need a player that I think will be the leader, I'll, I'll, let's go. Let's go to DeAndre Square. I think he's he's a an inside linebacker that uh, he's tough as nails. He he's he's kind of one of those guys that that other other young peers um, are gravitated uh, have gravitated towards. I think he's a guy to, to, to watch out for in that, but really, I think it's going to be, um, all of the adversity that they have in house, uh, that's afflicted them that I think will bond the team and lead
2: the team. Tell us about five-star recruit Landon Young, the offensive tackle. Has he lived up to his billing as a recruit?
0: I'm buddies with Landon. Uh, now we don't go, you know, go out and have a drink on Friday nights or anything like that, but, uh, we're very friendly. Um, I really like Landon. He is uh, actually just got married, too, um, so congratulations to him. Uh, Landon, I would say when it comes to has he lived up to the hype of a recruit, it just depends on what your level of hype uh, is. Is it it to be a three-time All-American and number one overall pick? Then no, he hasn't lived up to that. But we have seen over time a lot of top prospects, and a couple that come to mind like, Jonas Gray and Deshaun Hand being two five star guys, two top five guys, really, that came in and were great college players, but never, you know, like Deshaun Hand's kind of sticking around as a rotational slash starter guy for Detroit. Uh, and Jonas Gray had his one game cup of coffee with New England. But, um, you know, they weren't NFL guys, but they were great college players. And that's kind of what Landon has become. Uh, it, the thing that hurt him the most early on was that he had an injury. Um, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, cause it was it wasn't last year, it was the year before, that he missed the season with a torn ACL, and he was thinking about um, maybe going to the draft, but he came back, and uh, we'll get to see one more season, uh, what it's like for him. So right now, I think if you if you're asking, has he lived up to it? I I, w- I would say again, that's on your definition. I will say that he at least has one more year to kind of write his chapter and uh, just to tell you about him as like a player he's a he's a really big guy um he he's uh very strong in the running game the the pass protection got a lot better once he got in there um he's not jedrick wills uh, who was a teammate of his at lafayette here in lexington kentucky um who was the 10th overall pick by the browns but he may be able if he has a great year this year to maybe find himself a spot in the nfl i'm not sure that uh, he's going to be a starter uh, but you know the background on this kid will be fantastic. He's a good kid. He's a clean kid off the field. He's he's a plus guy, if anything, uh, for your locker room. So I would say that there are, there's a lot to like about him, especially as a college player. I think if you wanted any NFL projection uh, to really watch this year, and let's let let this be the the make or break year for Landon Young.
1: Angela, I'm curious. Do you think Brandon Eccles is the top draft prospect from this Kentucky's team? Ooh, uh
0: for this for this
1: coming uh for this coming draft, senior like this, year yeah for the 2021 oh, okay, okay, nfl okay. draft what do you think I now mean, obviously you oh, mentioned goodness. that they have a lot of recruits but eccles has got athleticism he's got you know that coach stoops knows how to coach that that's secondary do you think he's the top guy in the next year's draft
0: i you know i i would i would have to say he's obviously up there for the reasons that you listed uh, there are a couple of guys that in my mind, from the seniors, that I think have a case for that. And the first one, and uh, funny enough, is Max Duffy, who's a punter, and uh, he he is a well, he's a great punter. There's no there's no bones about it. He won the he won the Ray Guy Award last year. He's he was other than Lynn Bowden, I, I swear to you all, he was the second uh, best player on the team and had the second biggest impact. He consistently got people in the position you know consistently got the defense in a position to succeed and that to me is a huge so i would put him up there um a couple of other players from this senior class that that i like i would say this is more of a dry year when it comes to kentucky football prospects where i feel like is in the future um you're going to see a lot more obviously landon young um drake jackson is a guy that's been for a couple of years has been really, really not just good, uh, but he's been great for the Wildcats. And if you put him in a scheme that can kind of – a lot like how the Eagles kind of use Jason Kelsey, if he can be in kind of that mold, um, that that he can succeed there. And then Boogie Watson is another guy, Jamar Boogie Watson. Um, so, yeah, that's 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 where I would say – the prospects kind of are with uh, Eccles being right up there, if not the top, with those other guys.
1: Can Max Duffy play quarterback? Does he have a good arm? Being from Australia. Um,
0: if you're if if uh, if if there's no press coverage and the receivers can go deep and he's allowed to throw with his foot, then um, yeah, maybe maybe that's a possibility. You'll have to you'll have to check with him. One more thing on the uh, on the seniors. A guy that I really like uh, for for this out of the seniors is um Devontae Robinson. And he's a guy that you all may not be intimately familiar with because of he had an injury like right before the season started, which he was supposed to be the he was a junior. He had experience. He was supposed to be the leader of that defensive backfield. And when he got ousted, people were like, Oh man, like this secondary is going to be brutal. But it turns out that the guys came came along and uh were able to play together. But Devontae's a local kid too from Henry Clay High School in Lexington. He has a lot of talent. He's gonna be playing nickelback after being a uh after being a safety.
1: Boogie <laughs> Watson, is he gonna have one of those monster senior years? I think that he
0: absolutely um has the potential to. He had eleven and a half tackles for loss last year, which was a team high. He had seven quarterback uh Hurries, which was a team high. Uh, he has he has the the talent. He was a top 100 outside linebacker uh, by scout. But the thing that's really impressive about him is that he only started playing football um, his junior year of high school. So true, organized football at a competitive level. So when you talk about a guy that's raw and that has developmental um, aspects, I mean, think about it. What was Josh? Uh, what was Josh Allen? He was a developmental prospect. He came in at 6'3 and 210, and he left at 6'4, what, two two 245, 250, completely filled out, seventh overall pick, one of the best defensive rookies last year, and a guy that I think a lot of NFL teams would build around, uh, given their choice of all the players in the league. And he fills out right now at 6'3, 244. So um, I think that he has the potential – to and with Josh Paschal being back and be able to apply pressure from both sides, you know, I think that's who I think that he's definitely a guy that can break out. And by the way, uh, Vaughn Miller is who he models his game after, so if he can if he can look like Vaughn Miller, <laughs> no telling how high he can
2: go. What do you like about nose tackle Quentin Bohanna?
0: I'm glad you asked me that question because when you're talking about the seniors, I purposefully left Bohanna off because I wanted to talk about him in isolation here. Quentin Bohanna is a very polarizing player for me when it comes to NFL projection, because uh, I know this may be bad for, for your podcast, but to make like a cross sport comparison, it's a guy like Joel Embiid at the NBA where people think he has all the talent in the world, but they wish that he would get this better or that better, whether it be like not staying injured, conditioning, this and that. I watched Quentin Bohanna, freshman sophomore year and I straight up was like this kid's an NFL player. Like I mean they're like absolute NFL player. He had the size, he has the strength and the quickness that you look at. I mean he looked like a young BJ Raji, you know, in, in his early part of his career. But when I watched him last year, I kept waiting. I kept waiting for that Quentin Bohanna game, that Quentin Bohanna dominance that but you didn't get it, did you? I mean, you all didn't – it's not like there's a tremendous Quentin Bohanna buzz uh, coming into this draft season. And I know how much – I mean, your website's amazing and how much draft prep that you all put in uh, to each and every week that you all do. So if you're not hearing that buzz on him, you more have to answer, you know ask the question, if you're six, what, three, two, uh, 357 pounds or 350 pounds or whatever, and you can move the way he does, why aren't you? like the the guy that, that why aren't you the buzz why aren't you who everybody's talking about so it's more of a challenge to him to be the best Quentin Bohanna that he can be and and, the, and I'll be fair in this defensive line it's uh if you look at the players in the past like guys like T.J. Carter and uh other other defensive linemen like obviously Calvin Taylor had a little bit of uh draft buzz going into last year but uh, these defensive linemen now they will in the future and Bohan is actually kind of the the square one when it comes to developing nfl pros from the kentucky defensive line but i really want to see him um step it uh, step up his play and uh be that guy like be, be the guy that i think everyone thinks that he can be
2: is drake jackson the center big enough to be an nfl center
0: well and i'm glad you asked that um, in your notes prior, because I thought about, I was like, Hmm, is he? And I remembered I stood next to him and I was like, oh, I mean, he's, he's definitely like thicker and stronger than I am, but he's not that <laughs> much like bigger than I am. I mean, like, uh, but to be fair, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not small by any means. I'll say that. But I looked up centers over the last uh, two years that have been drafted in the, in the top three to four rounds. And I looked at the top centers currently in the league. And the only guy that really compares favorably to Drake Jackson is Jason Kelsey, who I brought up earlier. And I think to get the best out of Drake Jackson, it would have to be in a move system where he can get off the snap. And instead of, you know, in a power run scheme going straight up with your assignment and trying to move him off the ball, it is coming off into zone and being able to block an area where he can use his, his, uh, his size to his advantage and being quicker in his smarts, which he's a very smart uh, player, and obviously well respected by the rest of the coaches in the s e c um and there were some other centers you know there were a lot of six three three oh five three oh seven so there's not it's not inconceivable that Drake can put on another eight to ten pounds at the n f l level and I think we all know that uh height uh, can sometimes be a burden for certain linemen, and to be able to have that base is actually a good thing, but I would say that he is small if you're asking him to play uh, against, uh, you know, William the Fridge Perry in 1985. <laughs> uh, but if you're asking him to play in a zone-blocking scheme in 2020, I think that, yeah, he has a shot.
2: Former Wildcat Josh Allen was one of the better rookies in 2019. Uh, what kind of career do you think he's going to have in the NFL?
0: I think he truly can have whatever career uh, he wants to uh, because he's so he's such a nice guy and he's such a good guy, and he has a family. I think he, he he's a man that's very focused and has a very set pattern. What does he do? He plays football, he plays great at football, and then he's a family man. And you don't really have room to mess up, which sometimes can derail people's careers. And uh, that's not the case uh, with Josh. So when it comes to him, it's more or less to me, how is he going to be used? Uh, because I think the one thing that we've come to understand over the years is that as NFL coaches, are good enough to get where they are, but that doesn't mean they're good Uh, because you see players play out of position all the time. And I'm sure you all watch film and you're like, what the hell is this? (laughs) Why, why, why is this guy playing this position? Um, If Josh stays at kind of that outside linebacker, um, you know, not, not exactly off the ball, but he doesn't need to be setting the edge and run defense. If he's able to play, uh, freely among, along the perimeter, maybe drop back a little bit, but most of all, be able to pin his ear back and rush the quarterback. I mean, a guy that I fancy is like the ceiling would be like a Michael Strahan type. Like that's mm-hmm. kind of like like the way that I fancy Josh Allen uh, being at some point uh, putting up consistent numbers for uh, more than a decade is a guy that I think he can be just with his acumen uh, mentally and his physical skill set. But if anything, he's – like, if you said what's the low end of Josh Allen, I don't know. Like, the low end of Josh Allen would be, like, a better version of, like, Tomahali. Like, he can make, like, multiple Pro Bowls. He can, like – like, if he he was the A.J. Green of outside linebackers where it's, like, he makes seven straight Pro Bowls and that kind of, you know, defines his career, that wouldn't surprise me, nor would that be a bad thing. But if he was, you know, that if he was an all-pro for three out of five years in his prime, you know, first team, that wouldn't surprise me either.
2: Running back Benny Snell has done well in relief uh, for James Conner uh, for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, what can you tell me about him as a Kentucky Wildcat?
0: I had the pleasure of beginning my job in Lexington after Benny's freshman year, and there was already NFL buzz about him. And I remember how and i'm gonna take taking a little story like, kind of like a story trail here and i remember how when i first interviewed him how excited he was i mean when you talk about a young man with hope in his eyes this kid after his freshman year was just a giddy young man uh to be ready uh for what his future held and i remember i talked to him i was like i said something along the lines of you have a lot of expectation man like people think that you can i i said uh uh, a former NFL GM, you can all look him up after the show. Steve Ortmeier is a guy that I do uh, UK pre games and post uh, pre games with here in Lexington. I asked him about Benny, and he was like, "Yeah, he has one of those bodies that's like NFL ready, like coming out of high school. You don't see young men with bodies that are able to take that coming out of the high school ranks." And when I kind of told him uh, that roughly, he was he was humbled, he was appreciative. Um, and I think he was really starting to grasp, coming from the outside, uh, how he was perceived. That this could be a future for him. And going into his junior year, which is just one season, and this is after he broke the rushing touchdown mark as a as a sophomore. He broke the school record for rushing touchdowns as a sophomore at Kentucky, like in his seventh game, which is just unheard of at any you know most power five schools but he did that here he came in the next uh season and he started using his third person more there's a definition that you see called benny snell football like that was more defined it wasn't that the team gave him that i like moniker it was him he has snell yeah tattooed across his stomach he has uh, Benny Snell football is a thing. He said "What do, when he was asked questions, what does Benny Snell need to do? A very com- very stark contrast from the, from the man that I had met the year before. And I'm not saying that that's a negative, but it was definitely a more self-involved type of outlook for himself than when he was more a cog of the team. Now, he was a fantastic team player from all accounts. I mean, he never got hurt. He took on a huge amount of carries. Uh, he was very safe with the ball. I mean, he's arguably the greatest uh, non-quarterback in, or greatest offensive non-quarterback in Kentucky's history. I mean, the stats and, the, and his impact bear that out. But I remember being at the pro day, and he had declared as a junior. And a lot of those guys – uh, that were coming out like uh, Mike Edwards and Josh Allen and Darius West and Chris Westry and all those guys, Even though I think Chris might've been a red shirt, but they were, um, they were all kind of in that same Kentucky, like defining what Kentucky football is class. Well, I noticed at the pro day and Ed was there too. Benny was off by himself like the entire time. And rarely did he even get interaction from his teammates. And I remember watching him go through his drills when it was his turn. And while all the seniors were kind of hyping each other up, the seniors were hyping the other seniors up. Benny wasn't getting like any, a lot of, a lot of like uh, a comment from the side. And I thought that was very peculiar. And um, I remember overhearing Josh Allen because eventually Mike Edwards kind of, you know, came over and was like, let's go, Benny. Like, let's go. And uh, I remember Josh Allen leaned over to the, uh, this uh, scout for the Forty ers and he said, "Nah, Benny's Benny's not a bad dude. He's just different," is what Josh Allen said, and I was just always very intrigued by the inner workings of what that team going ten and three to that kind of statement that he's not a bad kid. He's just different, and I and I've just ever since then I've been very fixated on that one little saying and have uh, and been forever curious, but. He obviously got – he got drafted a lot higher than I thought he would. Mike Tomlin loved what he could do for the Pittsburgh Steelers in establishing that kind of rough-and-tumble offense. And Tomlin obviously loves the guy, making him the second running back, and he had that big week one after uh, James Conner got hurt against the Giants. So so him as a person, I I will say this. uh, There were not many Kentucky Wildcats that I enjoyed more than Benny Snell, on the field, off the field. As a guy, I think I think he's just a, he was just a young man that got got excited about what his future held, and um, I, I love him. I love to see him succeed. He is going to forever be welcomed in Lexington, and I'm a big fan. But that's just kind of like a a tri- just kind of a story of like how that kind of developed for Benny into where he is today.
1: Well, I always say, Angelo, there's nothing wrong with being different. Being different sets you apart, and then you can succeed in the NFL.
0: That's exactly right. That is exactly right.
1: And by the way, I'm getting old, Angelo, because I actually know who Steve Ortmeyer is. It's amazing. Well,
0: there you go. Yeah, we're actually doing a, a UK pregame uh, Saturday morning, me and Coach. Man, he's a really cool guy. By the way, one of the nicest men you will meet. He has been nothing but welcoming and, and nice to me since I've met him.
1: Well, he's he was the general manager for, like, the Chargers and the Rams. And I didn't look this up, by the way, on Google. I'm just going to put it out there. I didn't. Wow. I know, for your own recollection? Okay. I'm getting old. Like I said, I'm I'm getting old. <laughs> One final question that we have for you. We've talked about Kentucky. I want to talk about the Cincinnati Bengals. And you know where I'm going. I want to talk about Joe Burrow. I don't want to jinx him. It's been two starts, and it it is still Cincinnati. But – there's just something different about Joe Burrow and you can see that during the first two games what are your thoughts on him his performance so far well
0: I'm gonna go I'm gonna go back a little bit a fun tidbit uh, my grandfather is from the same town in Nebraska as his grandfather and they actually watched together Joe's first start in Nebraska so they they were at the same place. So I think that's a that's a pretty cool connect. Waiting on wait waiting on being his uh, sole media advisor. So when I do that, you'll never hear from me again. I'm in a big time yet. But until then, I, I guess I'll tell you a little more about Joe. You're supposed to laugh at that, guys. Come on now. Come on. I'm trying to mess with y'all. Um, but um, so what? Joe, beginning of the uh, of the season or before the season, I, I had him as my number one overall prospect. Uh, obviously the number one quarterback. I thought he was. Uh, the most uh, refined quarterback since Andrew Luck, and I don't think that's a that's a hot take. And now I like I, I've been up and down on my quarterbacks, boys. I will tell you that uh, when it comes to it, I mean I've had some highs, I've had some lows. Uh, but Joe showed everything that I needed to see his senior year. You know he looked like a you know he he looked like what a Aaron Rodgers uh, in the NFL as a prospect in college would look like in the terms of play style and production. Uh, I'll be honest with you. Um, I think Joe is showing the things that he needs to show, which is when you're under pressure games on the line and you face adversity, how do you respond? And this kid is always going to respond, uh, with toughness and grit, which can result into, um, into magical play and, and perseverance. I will say that through the first two weeks, um, I don't know if it's because I expect so much out of Joe or if it's that I'm not watching close enough, um, which I have been. Um, But I feel like he's still uncomfortable in the offense. Um, I I, I feel like that when he's down by 10 with a minute left and needs to score before halftime, he's as good as advertised. But if it's 11 minutes in the second quarter, second and fourth, you know, 0-0, I feel like he's just been a little off. I feel like there's something a little missing, and I don't know if that's the offensive line. I don't know if that's uh, not on – On uh, rapport with the receivers Yet and I know a lot of the the Blame has been heaped on to A.J. Green For that here locally even though A.J. Green went up against Casey Hayward And Denzel Ward the first two weeks of the season Who are you know two of the best cornerbacks In all of football but I have have Tried to temper uh, What I have seen Will I say that I've loved what I've seen from Joe So far no but I, I Mean but I've seen I've loved what I Needed to see from him And he's in his going into his third start on a bad offensive line, you know, and even though Jonah Williams showed a lot of promise and I like uh, Trey Hopkins, but you know, it's, it's a give it time type of thing, but I see that you're obviously super uh, high on what you've seen on uh, Joe. So at least uh, maybe I need to get some glasses. I don't have them yet.
1: Well, he's still playing for the Cincinnati Bengals. I know they have Tyler Boyd, AJ Green, but you mentioned, you know, the offensive line is average at best. The defense showed some promise in the first game, but it, it was against the Chargers. In the second game, they struggled. I would say he has exceeded expectations so far. I wasn't going to go there with you, actually, but do you think, is A.J. Green going to get moved here in the next month?
0: Well, I'll I tell you what. I, I've been in the locker room for a couple of years in Cincinnati, and if there's anyone that deserves, to be the ASC's version of Larry Fitzgerald, it's this guy. I mean, he has been Mr. Bengal. He has been, um, uh, to me, and I know this doesn't bear out to a lot of people. I think he has been an elite receiver for a long time. Not a not a good receiver, not a great receiver. He's been an elite receiver. He just happened to play with Andy Dalton his entire career, and I think it's really unfair to kind of uh, heap that on a guy when other players like Julio Jones had Matt Ryan and Antonio Brown had Ben Roethlisberger and DeAndre Hopkins the last couple of years had Deshaun Watson. You know, it's a, it's a far contrast uh, to be fair. I, again, like I said, not only is this AJ Green's first time playing football in a year and a half. Is that correct guys? Can you correct me on that? Year and a half.
1: Yeah. And I think we can all. Always-
0: yeah, I think we can all agree that uh, Casey. Well, this is not a, this is not negotiable. Casey Hayward was an All Pro cornerback uh, last ever since he left Green Bay, which is perfect as a Green Bay Packers fan. Uh, before my sports writing day, I still am, oh, uh, to be honest. But uh, to let Casey Hayward go and go to the Chargers and be an All Pro, that was. That was rough to see. But then to face Denzel Ward, who I think a lot of people think is the next great cornerback in the NFL. Um, He has done nothing but show excellence, starting with his first game against Antonio Brown his rookie year to now. So I don't think that – I think if we had the names to go with it, I think if you said A.J. Green went against Stephon Gilmore and Jalen Ramsey in the first two weeks, people would be like, oh, that makes sense. But because Joe has – like against the Browns, he threw 13 passes to A.J. and completed three of them. I'm sorry. I don't care if you are. I don't care if you're uh, Jeff Driscoll on Sunday. If you throw 13 passes to AJ Green, there's no reason why you shouldn't complete them more than three times. And honestly, if you remember the first play of the game, Joe overthrew AJ Green out of bounds when AJ Green was clearly open. So number one, I don't think AJ Green is the problem. I think AJ Green and Joe just need to get on the same page and with easier competition now and uh, and with the rapport. I can only expect it to get better. Obviously, Joe throws to him a ton uh, because he is the best wide receiver on the team, and Joe knows that. And I think when you've got a guy like Joe Burrow who has you know, more of a rapport with the other guys and still cho- chooses to throw at A.J. Green, I think that that shows you what you need to know. And uh, to your other point, nah, man, I-, I really think that the Bengals are messing up by not signing A.J. long-term. I do think that he should be the Larry Fitzgerald of this franchise. There's not a single player that has been more of a professional on a team that you could argue has shown maybe not the same level uh, towards him as uh, A.J. Green has. This guy should be a Bengal for life. He is what Bengals football has been for the last decade, and I would go on to say that he's arguably one of the top three players in the history of the franchise. I think I think he personally he should stay for as long as he wants to stay.
1: He's been a great player, Angelo. The only thing is this Bengals team is still going to go 3 and 13 or 4 and 12 and he's still the one of the biggest trading chips for this team right. come trading well, deadline. And that's why I thought that the Patriots would definitely be on the phone uh, trying to get AJ Green on their team. And obviously, he's he's healthy right now and that's the reason why I brought up his name. I just think the Bengals realize that they can they can get a couple of draft picks for him.
0: I get you, but it's the same reason why, if you look at Arizona, they never traded Larry Fitzgerald. They they went, what did they have? They had the 10th overall pick with Josh Rosen, and then they finished with the worst record and got Kyler Murray. And all the trade rumors allowed Larry Fitzgerald, and he never got moved. And I think you would argue that, uh, and just from my perspective, you would argue that A.J. brings more value as being a piece that Joe Burrow, your rookie franchise investment, uh, can lean on than he is worth a draft pick. Would, would you agree with that?
1: The Bengals are rebuilding right now. They need a lot of pieces and I do think that AJ Green is is past his prime nowadays in my opinion. And I do think that they need to address some other positions and they need to get better and if you can get a couple of draft picks in next year's draft, I would take that at this point. Angelo, thanks for being with us. Uh, please tell our listeners where they can where they can find you.
0: Honestly, you just need me at one place. You can follow me at Angelo Media Lex. That's A N G E L O M E D I A L E X. You follow me on Twitter, and I like to advertise everything that I do from podcasts that I'm on, I'm on including this one, uh, from the shows that I do. You can listen to me um, all around the world at uh, WLHG.com, which I'll post on there. Or if you happen to listen to this locally, you can always catch me on the station. You just follow me on Twitter at Angelo Media Lex, and you'll see all the content that I produced uh, from from today into the new year and beyond.
1: Angelo, thank you for the knowledge and for all the insight information about Kentucky's football.
0: No problem. I'm really glad to have somewhere to share it, and I appreciate that yeah, you all invited me on. It's a great honor. And thank you. Uh, thank you, Alex and Ed. Good talking to you again, man. I can't wait until the next time we meet up.
1: This was another episode of Blitzcast. Thank you for listening. Take care.